Hello and welcome to the Alberta Advantage. My name is Kate Jacobson and I'll be hosting today's episode. And today I'll be interviewing Roland Schmidt, the president of Cup W Local 730, which is the Edmonton and Affiliates branch of the Canadian Union of Postal Workers. We'll be talking about how COVID-19 has impacted the postal service and how this local in particular is organizing to ensure the safety of both postal workers and the public. Roland, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. So to start off with, could you tell us a bit about how COVID-19 impacts the work you do in the Postal Service and what some of the dangers and risks that it presents to you are, your coworkers and the public? So I'm sure most Canadians are aware uh, the Postal Service is considered an essential service during this time, and we have all of our operations still up and going to help Canadians navigate this crisis. Uh, postal workers, first off, understand that they have an important part to play in helping uh, Canadians navigate this, uh, in particular because if we're going to be successful with containment, we need people to be able to stay in their homes. But if people are in their homes and they're not able to get necessary goods in order to maintain that isolation, then it really undermines the whole process of containment. So the more that we're able to deliver and the longer the post office is able to stay healthy and make those deliveries, the more likely that people can honor these provisions in place uh, to help curb the pandemic. So as far as the concerns we have uh, at the post office, it's not expected that, say, you ship a parcel from Toronto to Edmonton, that if someone in Toronto is contaminated, that that contamination will live on the parcel to Edmonton. That's not so much the issue. The issue is, is more that we have these national provisions in place, these provincial provisions in place, like in Alberta right now, you're not supposed to have gatherings over 15 people. The reason health services is making those recommendations is because they do understand that the higher concentration of groups um, occurring, it raises the likelihood of, of COVID um, maintaining its spread through the populace. So the fact that Canada Post is still operating, on the one hand, it helps people isolating, but on the other hand, it can present a potential risk. And right now what we're seeing is that um, it would be very simple to minimize that risk of contamination amongst our workforce, which means that if someone is contaminated in the workforce, it, um, they are going to be jeopardizing uh, the containment strategy overall in Alberta. So if someone gets sick in our workplace, the symptoms take up to 14 days to present themselves. That person is going home, interacting with uh, people in that household, maybe a few other people outside of their household, and then that really undermines the effort to curb the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So how has your employer, Canada Post, reacted to the risks that COVID-19 poses? What has their response been? Well, it, honestly, it's been very much the same dynamic as it's always been with the with the post office. They're they're quite quick to say the right words. Like even before the pandemic, if we had an issue we brought up with them, they would often say the right words about how they care about our health and safety or they take our concerns seriously and they'll look into implementing certain things. And it was no different with this pandemic concern. We would take our concerns to upper management. Um, you know, they would they would assure us that they they hear us and they really care and their credit, they almost sound like they do care. Uh, but then what happens is the implementation is very much, it's, it's too slow and it's not enough. So mm -hmm. the, only, the only time we've really seen traction in our local is when um, we have a pretty robust like work floor activist group. So these aren't, these aren't paid union people. These are workers that decided that um, their workplace is only going to see improvement if they're taking an active hand in it. So for, especially in the past nine months, since we had like an overhaul with our executive. Um, I was one of those new people becoming president of our local. So I've only been in this role for a short time. And then a bunch of other uh, new people coming on to the executive. Uh, we decided that our work, our work environment wasn't 
uh, reflective of, of what we wanted. So there was a lot of um, workers getting together on the work floor. We ran numerous courses called Taking Back Our Work Floor, uh, where we gave workers these tools that uh, to use their right to complain as a group, confronting management in a uh, firm but respectful way, and just like detailing what changes they'd like to see. So I'm not going to get into what happened before, but what's, what's happening now with the pandemic is those, those seeds that we planted with all that organizing, mm -hmm. they're having the same yield now. So it's like that work, that effort is paying dividend now. So when Canada Post is being slow to say implement staggered start times or uh, provide like proper um, like sanitation uh, regimes or schedules in the facilities, you would have workers confronting management saying like, yeah, you're saying all the right things, but this isn't, this isn't enough and it's not happening quickly enough. And the facilities where we've had that pushback, we've seen the changes come a lot sooner. So um, whereas changes are finally starting to come now to our, our less organized facilities, uh, these changes were seen as upwards of over like a week and a half ago in some of our more organized facilities. Wow. So what are the demands that you and your coworkers have of Canada Post to keep both you and the public safe during this COVID-19 outbreak? So something to stress with our demands, and I feel this is an important part of the whole theory of organizing. Um, Maybe myself as a full-time officer and like my colleagues in the full-time office would have ideas about what would be the best provisions to put forward. But we feel it makes a lot more sense to actually, uh, you know, be present on the work floors and and be in constant contact with our members to see like, what do you feel are, where do you feel Canada Post is lacking and what improvements do you want in this crisis? So everything that we've come up with, and I'll get into a few in a bit, um, is a result of feedback from our work floors. We're not taking liberties ourselves in the office. We're taking our direction right from the floor. And um, a good example of this is one uh, demand that's come forward of suspending all non-essential mail. And what I mean by non-essential mail is um, we, we just got hit with every year we get a new crop of phone books. So anyone who has those thick yellow phone books coming through in uh, like the major urban areas. Um, so you'll see these things, these bricks, and you'll be like, man, I'm not sure what phone books are of use anymore in this day and age. But for a letter carrier or an RSMC, they'll have hundreds of these things, that, you know, typically adds considerable amount of weight and extra work to their already busy day. And we just had the unfortunate timing of this happening right when the pandemic struck. So you have these barricades of these phone books in our work facilities that are already too congested. So that space is being reduced by these phone books showing up. So things like that, they take time to prepare on a, on a route before going out. But taking more time in an already congested facility is very contrary to the recommendations of uh, every health agency and every government as far as what you need to do to prevent the spread of COVID. So well, one of the, like, it's like example, I, I pr propose an idea that, okay, for maybe ad mail, which is another example of non-essential mail, that people shouldn't have to deliver it to every house. They would only deliver it to a house, like each house that they have mail for that day. And then the workforce responded by being like, no, no, no. Uh, the true understanding of this matter is that we have to be prepping the ad mail in station. So the amount of time we're prepping in station is needlessly, like it's keeping us in our work facilities, say an extra half hour that we don't need to be amongst like other people. And every little measure like that increases the chance of contamination. So that was one um, expectation that the work floor made to our office that we carried forward. Some other expectations include that there needs to be um, strong physical distancing provisions. So mm -hmm. in the processing plant where we have 600 in Edmonton, uh, we have 600 workers uh, split between three shifts. 
So, you know, you're looking at some shifts have like more than 200 people, some maybe a little bit less. Uh, clearly, um, that's a lot of people. Um, most folks, I think, would be uncomfortable with the idea of that many people being in one space during a, a pandemic. And you would feel even more uncomfortable if you knew that there wasn't proper uh, cleaning being done in between these shifts, which is what we're seeing, right? So some other recommendations include, um, it's like you need to be staggering the lunch and uh, coffee breaks in the processing facility so that you're not having too much. You, you should never have more than uh, 40 people in uh, in like that. The lunchroom is pretty big, but you shouldn't have more than 40 people in that room at one time. And there should be cleaning kits on hand so that workers should be able to sanitizing it like a, a table they're sitting at uh, before, you know, having their meal and having their break because they have a, a tough day ahead of them because parcel volumes are around the same rate as around Christmas during these days. Wow. And then a, a, another example of the physical distancing is in the, uh, in the depots where the delivery agents are, you would want, say you have a facility of 80 people, you would want uh, to split those up between four different ways. So you'd have 20 people in there for an hour and a half, hopefully less if they're not processing ad mail. And then um, they would leave, everyone would leave, and then the next 20 people would come in. There should be no overlap between the shift. And the reason that's so important for people to understand is because um, contamination will be coming to the post office. I can't stress this enough. It will happen. Um, there's no way that you know a, a service like ours with as many people working as we do, um, that this won't eventually happen. But when it does happen, if we're following the proper uh, safety measures, we have the proper physical distancing, we have the proper sanitation, it will absolutely minimize the chance of it spreading. So it could be a matter of someone could have it, even if they don't know about the symptoms, they could be in their facility, not directly engaging with people, making sure the case, their case they're working at is clean. That would mean the outbreak would be limited to maybe one or two people as opposed to a whole depot servicing a whole part of the city or a whole shift servicing uh, the uh, processing plant. So uh, just to recap, we're asking for uh, there's physical distancing provisions. There's eliminating non-essential mail. There's uh, sanitation kits for each worker uh, for the, any high contact area, whether it's a mail case, a parcel belt, you name it. Um, there, there is a recommendation that um, the union and the government agree upon, like a third-party health expert to come in and audit our operations to say, hey, look, this is where you need to be improving your safety measures. Maybe you miss this thing because, like, I'm not a health professional. I don't know everything. So it's um, a, one of those people could come in and say, look, you need to be running at this spec in order to make sure that the people working here aren't going to be uh, a risk to the Canadian public when they go back out into, into the public after working. Mm -hmm. So could you go into a little bit more detail about how you are organizing around these incredibly basic and incredibly reasonable health and safety demands. And I ask this because Cup W Local 730 has a really incredible history of direct action campaigns and union organizing on the level of the shop floor. And you mentioned some of the tactics you've used, like exercising your right to complain, but as a group. And I was wondering, hoping you would go into a bit more detail about what the organizing mechanics of this campaign are and why you find they're effective. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, really, it comes down to kind of a like a theory of change. And what I mean by that is um, if you look at not only our union, but our, uh, our labor movement, it could be argued that we haven't been as effective in wielding power over industry or employers. Now, um, from 
where I sit in Edmonton, uh, the conclusions that we've drawn, we've kind of, we've learned the hard way. Like uh, as postal workers, we've suffered incredibly. Um, I've only been with the company 16 years, but in those 16 years, I've been legislated back, you know, myself and my coworkers, we've been legislated back to work uh, twice, despite having the constitutional right to strike. Um, we just, my, my job has only gotten worse in the 16 years as a letter carrier that I've been here. And um, for me, um, it really seems that if we're going to be effective, we have to get back to the legacy of our union, which is that, that direct action and that workflow militancy. So in, in Edmonton, we've long since sort of given up on the idea that um, specialists um, on behalf of the union or a lawyer on behalf of the union is going to be more effective at winning concessions for workers. And um, it sort of came about as we developed this course, Taking Back Our Work Floor, as a result of a successful campaign that happened very much by accident back in 2011, where at the time, um, it was uh, winter, winter 2011, we had a shortage of staff and an abundance of product. And the company had the right under our collective agreement to force letter carriers to work overtime to make up for staff shortages. Now, this is supposed to be an emergency provision. But Canada Post figured that they could actually save money. Instead of training new people and bringing new people onto the payroll with benefits, they would actually force letter carriers to work overtime. So what started as um, people initially maybe taking an opportunity to work, um, get that little bit extra money once every week or so, turned into, and this is no exaggeration, a person doing their, their difficult eight-hour day during peak season around Christmas and then uh, having to do an extra hour and a half on top of that. And that would happen three times a week. So people were getting really strained by the fact they're working in the dark, they're not seeing their friends and family as much, and then injuries started to pile up. So as a result, um, we, didn't have a, we didn't really have a strong active union local at the time. And people were just, honestly, they're having like emotional outbursts on the floor, losing their tempers, um, not coming into work. And it was just by... As a last resort, people just kind of started banding together. It wasn't like deliberately organized. It was just a, a, a lucky response of anger that people sort of rose up on the floor and then started confronting management as a group. And then we started seeing some um, success from that. So there was a few organizers and, you know, I had the honor of being a part of that myself, a few organizers that were able to kind of guide that in a constructive direction. And long story short, uh, we... We uh, got a citywide campaign going where everyone was refusing these direct orders and discipline threats from management to, to uh, do that forced overtime. Uh, we, the company completely backed down. They caved to our concessions to hire new people. No one was disciplined throughout. And then as a result, we wanted to take those lessons because there was a lot of clumsiness involved in that too, right? Like there was a lot of mistakes made along the way. Um, so we took the lessons, the things that were successful, the things that weren't, and then we built that course around it. We called it Taking Back Our Work Floor. So, um, that course we've been reapplying lately in our local. And going back to the idea of the theory of change, it's, um, is our union going to be more effective if we're, if we're leveraging the power of our, of our membership and the will of our membership? Or are we going to be more effective as uh, you know, specialists advocating as individuals? Now, in the union, um, this is maybe a little bit inside baseball, but for anyone that's familiar with the labor movement at all, uh, the labor movement, I'd say, since 1965 has been relying very heavily on what's called the grievance model. Uh, so it was this idea where we traded the ability to strike at will to solve our problems uh, instead for like a, a kind of a formal legal mechanism. And maybe in the beginning, this had a little bit more leverage because bosses and government were more afraid of us. But over time, 
um, bosses in government and their lawyers have figured out ways to outmaneuver us with the grievance model. So now, if my rights are being violated as a postal worker, I would file some paperwork that maybe in you know eight to sixty months' time I would get some uh, feedback on, or I'd maybe get some money, but it might not fully you know uh, take care of the underlying problem. Now, this is a this is an issue for two major reasons. One, if there's like a systemic problem on a work floor, like say you have a, a bully boss or a bad work method, what what the, what the grievance model asks for you to do is file an, an individual complaint. Now, 20 of you could file this individual complaint, but it still goes through this long, arduous process. And it's designed to uh, any frustration or anger you have, it, it essentially demoralizes those feelings, puts it into this arbitration model and tells you to wait. Now, that's a direct contrast of this idea of collective organizing. So this idea where you validate how people feel, you get all those people the same uh, feeling together, um, you, you let them know about the risks of what happens of, as a group, you want to confront it, and once they know those risks, if they're still willing to do something, you challenge management about it. So you can look at it this way. The union is a bird. Now, one wing of the bird is what we call proceduralism. So that's the lawyers, that's the grievances, that's the arbitration, that's the consultation, right? And mm -hmm. you can make the argument that the bird has been flying with this one wing for over 40 years. So how, how true is the flight of a bird if you're only relying on one wing? Uh, if we're being diplomatic uh, about this argument, we could say that the other wing is organizing. So at the very least, we're making the claim that there should be just as much emphasis put into organizing as there is proceduralism. And in Edmonton, uh, we've really taken that, um, that question to heart. And in truth, we've had a lot of success and we've gotten a lot of feedback from members throughout the country in our union saying that they're inspired by what's going on with our, with our workforce in Edmonton, because this isn't about what's happening at the executive level. It's about what's happening or in my office, in the president's office, it's about what's happening on the workforce. I couldn't agree more. The way I think about it is that proceduralism can be useful if you are dealing with an issue at work that is highly individualized. You know, like you personally are in a disciplinary meeting and you want union representation or something like that. But the fact is the major issues that most of us deal with at work are not individual issues. And if we attempt to address them individually on the terrain of our bosses, and that's the labor board or the courts, I think we're going to lose more than we win. So we have to take the fight to the place where we actually have the power. And that's our work sites. Yeah, well said. And I'll just, I want to take this moment to clarify something. It's like when we're, when we're saying that the grievance system isn't enough, and I get like I get a lot of flack from like old guard in our union <laughs> and people that are uncomfortable with organizing when I'm like saying that grievances aren't enough. And I want to be clear when I say grievances aren't enough, I'm not saying abandon it. Like you use every tool, like any rational person in a, in a period of struggle is going to use every tool and weapon at their disposal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Use grievances, but do not make the mistake that grievances are a replacement for actual workflow organizing. So you need, you need, um, you use every tool for whatever best suits the purpose. But at the end of the day, we really have to be honest about the fact that the bread and butter, the legacy of the labor movement and where our power comes from is our ability to mobilize workers. And you can't do that without the, the basics of, you know, activists on the work floor, the capacity to hold work floor meetings, the capacity to get the groups together to agitate around uh, shared struggle.
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So in your statement that you released, do you talk about how if your demands aren't met, you and your coworkers will begin utilizing your right to refuse unsafe work? I want to talk a little bit more about the ability to refuse unsafe work because this is a right that exists for all workers in both union and non-union environments. What does this look like? What does it mean? And why is it so powerful? Canadian Union of Postal Workers in our collective agreement, uh, we have um, for our urban workers, which make up roughly 70% of our membership, uh, it's called Article 3313. It's the right to refuse unsafe work. Um, it's very similar to the Canadian Labour Code, Section 128, which all workers theoretically have uh, the ability to utilize, but it has a little bit more weight behind it. It's, very, it's much more specific about uh, the circumstances of, um, it's like, it's a little bit more general as far as how we could refuse unsafe work, and it's a little bit more specific about the investigations that need to take place, how the union is involved, um, et cetera, et cetera. So the reason that this has been introduced with our list of demands is to make it very clear to Canada Post that, you know what, like we very well could have used our right to refuse quite a bit earlier in this struggle uh, or in this crisis with uh, COVID, but we, uh, we do understand the essential role we play and we want to keep helping Canadians navigate this crisis. Like, you know, we're only a few weeks into this. And by all accounts, but for most um, most professionals, it's like it's going to be another few months. So we have to get this stuff settled now. And um, Canada Post and postal workers play a tremendous role in helping us along. So we made it clear that it's like, look, we can do this. And Edmonton especially is in a position where we're organized enough where this stuff can start happening. And people will feel confident supporting each other and doing it. But we want to give them the opportunity to just take what would take our very reasonable, simple, basic, inexpensive recommendations that could be applied quickly and just get get to work doing it. Like just give them that last opportunity to do it. And um, I, I, you know, this is uh, this is good timing because today, uh, Sunday afternoon, um, you know, we sent out our we sent out our expectations on Thursday. Uh, one of our first demands was that they actually get back to us in writing about their intentions. Uh, true. Unsurprisingly, um, they did respond, and you know, of course, they're a little bit vague and um, deflective about what they're going to do. But they did acknowledge how important it was what we were asking, and that they would uh, start getting to work at uh, satisfying some of our expectations. And what I fully expect for them is right now they're having their boardroom meetings and they're thinking it's like, okay, okay, we need to implement some of the stuff, but we need to do it in a way where we could save face. So I'm already getting reports from the work floors that these cleaning kits that we've been agitating around for like the last week and a half, they're starting to show up uh, that, um, you know, uh, schedules are being posted as far as it making it more clear as far as like how space is going to be staggered. So there's already this feedback I'm getting from the work floor because we do have some workers, uh, our plant workers start work in the processing plant on, on a Sunday. So I'm going to be waiting to see tomorrow from our letter carriers and RSNCs as to um, what what's going to be implemented in their depots. But by all accounts, um, Canada Post really took to heart how serious this is. And frankly, they're starting to look pretty bad in the media too. Our union's done a, uh, an okay job of getting the message out about how unless proper precautions are, taking, are, are taken, that we could actually be a risk to the public, not necessarily through our product, but just through you know, us congregating and then going back out into the public. If you're not a postal worker and you're a member of the public and you want to show your support for this campaign, what can you do? Okay, so there's a couple important things. Let's just get the, the safety stuff out there first. Um, 
you know, it's this job is so hard for our frontline workers. Um, so if you see if you see someone out in the community, and it's probably going to be it's, it's unfortunate that you don't get to see our uh, people working in the processing plant because they're they're just as important to the whole chain of production in Canada Post. But um, you know, our delivery agents who are out in the public, um, I'm sure there's, they've already received a lot of positive feedback from from people. Like they'll open their doors and they'll say hello, and it's an opportunity to say hi to somebody that you maybe not don't see regularly because. Um, you're at work during the day. Uh, so you see, if you see a postal worker out on the street, just please observe that physical distancing. It's just important that we all maintain that wherever we can. Um, your, your postal worker would absolutely love if you like maybe put up a, a nice note on your mailbox. If you had extra um, sanitation wipes or extra hand sanitizer, if you left that for them uh, next to the mailbox, just saying like, hey, I hear you're having trouble getting these things. I hope this helps. Like that would just honestly, like we've received so many messages from our members sharing like pictures of, hey, this is what my customer left for me. Um, you know, I almost cried because it was just such a kind gesture. So if you could do something like that, just amazing. It would be such a big boost to our frontline workers. Um, just maintain that physical distance. Um, you know, they're happy to knock on your door, drop your parcel, and then uh, get out of the yard before you come and get it. Um, so that that's a big help for if you see somebody. Uh, the second thing, which I think would be, I think, just as impactful is we we just heard word that there's actually a petition circulating from the public that's asking um, that's asking Canadians to support, what is it entitled, safe working conditions for Canadian postal workers during COVID-19 crisis. So that's a petition on change.org. So if you just Googled change.org and safe working conditions for Canadian postal workers during COVID-19 crisis, you should be able to access that petition if people really, and then you could read it. And if you feel that uh, what's being said in the petition, that's basically saying, um, you know, we think these, these postal workers, if they're going to be providing this essential service at the very least, they should be given the, um, the safe work facilities and the, and the equipment to do it properly. So if you, you know, you're, you're a good human being and you support these, uh, these, these simple requests, support postal workers, please take that petition, sign it yourself, share it with any like-minded individuals who, you know, care about those frontline workers doing these difficult jobs in these difficult times and share that as widely as possible because we'd love to use that to further uh, create pressure in our local, on our local management to make sure we get up to the safety standards we need as soon as possible. Um, just to make sure that we could keep providing the service. Absolutely. And we'll make sure that we share the link to the petition on social media and it'll be in the show notes of this episode as well. Thank you so much. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you think is really important that people know? Yeah, I, I'd like to like just draw attention to the fact that um, so we've been fortunate enough that like some media outlets have picked up some of our stories in Edmonton, and we've shared the concerns of postal workers. Each time that we've done media, uh, there's this interesting pattern that emerges. There's this guy named John Hamilton, who's the national spokesperson for Canada Post, who always has the opportunity to have final say. And it's it's starting to get like to a point of concern where like I understand company spokesperson, they're going to be greasy. They're going to have questionable morals. They're going to put the spin on things. That's his job. But we're in a crisis and you have someone actively minimizing just how dangerous this could be for the public. And he's um, this guy is always framing things as, oh, yeah, the scientists say that contamination can't spread through parcels. It's like. He's trying to frame it as it's only an issue of product being contaminated. And I acknowledge that there's a low risk associated with product contamination. 
But nevertheless, until like the World Health Organization comes out definitively to say that one way or the other, here's the risk involved, to have a public spokesperson actively minimizing something while the whole country is trying to keep this from turning into a Spain or an Italy situation, it is incredibly irresponsible. And like this guy, you know, he's problematic on his own, but he's getting his marching orders from somewhere. So every opportunity we have to bring up these concerns, this guy is coming out and he's saying that, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, everything's fine. Canada Post is taking all the appropriate measures. Everything's fine. And so uh, and in, in one interview that was given, we challenged the Canadian government. It's like, all right, um, you got you to step it up. You got to send people to our facilities because what your uh, chain of management is reporting to you is not accurately reflecting the reality on the ground. And this is like this is of utmost importance because if um, there's a lack of sanitation, the lack of proper social physical distancing provisions, that is going to completely undermine our efforts to uh, do proper containment. I mean, it's not just John Hamilton, it's the whole rotten apparatus of Canada Post that's uh, enabling this minimization. But John Hamilton especially, my God, like I don't know how a person like that sleeps at night. <laughs> I wonder how a lot of people sleep at night throughout this pandemic, to be honest. Yes, that's true. Roland, thank you so much for coming on the Alberta Advantage. I think I speak for everyone on the team when I say that we love our posties and we are so grateful for all the work that you and your coworkers are doing to deliver this essential service, not only now, but all of the time. So really, thank you for all that you do. Oh, yeah. And thank you. That's that's so nice to hear. And uh, thank you for giving us the opportunity to share our concerns. It's just like we're trying wherever possible to let people know that postal workers do want to do the work, but they're, they're scared and they need the support. So any opportunity to boost our signal, we're just, we're just so grateful. And uh, thank you for your part in that. It was absolutely my pleasure. 